0: Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Reflect Forward. I'm your host, Carrie Siggins, and I am so happy you are here today. I have a fantastic guest today, Eleanor Beaton. She is the founder of Safi Media, an education and coaching company for women entrepreneurs. Safi Media is committed to advancing global gender equity, one uh, woman-owned business at a time. Together with her team, she's on a mission to double the number of women entrepreneurs who scale past $1 million in revenue by 2030. And that's globally. And she's doing some really amazing things. She's also the host of a podcast called Power Plus Presence Plus Position. It's a top rated podcast for female founders. And she is also the former chair of the Visiting Women's Education Exchange Program at Yale School of Management. She is fabulous. I know you're going to just love her. This interview is so much fun. We both learned a lot from each other. So hang tight and I'll be right back with Eleanor. All right, everyone, I am back with the beautiful Eleanor Beaton. Eleanor, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. It's
1: such a privilege to be here with you.
0: All right, I want to jump in because your company is amazing and your business model and I think it's going to be super interesting. So in your own words, can you tell us what what Safi Media is and and what your mission is?
1: Yeah, so Safi Media is an education and coaching company for women entrepreneurs. And um, it really is anchored in our vision, which is to advance a model of economic growth that nourishes the planet one woman-owned business at a time and um, in order to accomplish that uh, we're actually on a mission to double the number of women founders who sustainably scale past a million in annual revenue by 2030. And so that's what the company is all about. We work with women founders, and then we also do um, work with kind of the ecosystem surrounding women founders. So policymakers, NGOs, banks, organizations that influence um, the realities of women founders doing things like raising capital, um, you know, taking maternity leave you know all of these things so that's what the company is all about we have a fantastic team um we're based in canada we serve clients all over the world and um it, i just feel so lucky you know to do work that i love with incredible women
0: so tell us a little bit about the journey how did how did you get here how did you uh, have the idea for founding sappy media
1: so um it was by initially blatantly disregarding, you know, uh, props from the universe. So I, you know, this is my second business. I um, started my very first business in 2003 It was a boutique communications consulting firm. And um, I basically sold my expertise and my time. I did crisis communications. I would help do like external stakeholder communications, all of that. It was awesome. And then, you know, I remember having a friend say, have you ever considered doing like training programs in communication and i was like oh no and she asked like five times and so then finally i felt like i acquiesced and developed a training program around effective external communication and i loved it like i loved it i was making very little money doing it but i loved it and then I found out ways to make money doing it. And then, you know, as I was running these programs, I started having women who were participating coming and saying, do you do like one-on-one coaching as part of this? And I was like, ew, no. Um, but a few asked and, you know, cause coaching, remember back in the day when it just got started, it was like people were extremely skeptical about, about coaching, myself included. Um, and so, you know, but I had enough ask that I, I opened up to it. And so I got certified as a coach and started coaching and loved it. And so Safi Media was basically born when I, you know, out of opportunity meeting preparedness. So I had these incredible skills that I'd honed, you know, really helping people present market. Um, themselves, sell themselves, saw this incredible, you know, opportunity in the field of, of entrepreneurship and brought those two things together, you know, and it was really basically anchored. You, you, the, that company, this company was, you know, born out of that, but but really the heart of it was a mission that has been like a very personal mission that's been in my heart since I was a teenager really handed down to me from my mother, which is all about economic empowerment of women.
0: So I love that. I wanna talk about that too, but I'd like to just um, to just sit and stay with this coaching theme for a minute. Yeah. So uh, I'm, a, I'm a huge believer in coaching. Uh, my, uh, my first experience with a coach was a life coach. Uh, and uh, that I use in business and I use her in my business. I have many, many, many of my employees who were actually building a program around uh, this whole idea of deep coaching. But it is such a profound experience, especially when you find a good coach. Why were you skeptical at first? I'm curious about
1: that. Yeah. So I was was skeptical because, you know, and it's interesting. So it actually comes back to a lot of sort of family and cultural upbringing. So in my house, my dad was a PhD professor. My mother um, had her master's in counseling. And so he was all about sort of hard data um, and hard skills. And she was about interpersonal skills now we also grew up my mom is black my dad was white we grew up in rural canada and there was because of that you know growing up in you know experiencing a lot of racism as a child as a little kid you start out of a a sense of self-preservation really starting to kind of side more with i started siding more with my dad with the white part of me, and started valuing that side of what he valued and who I like valuing that part of me more than in fact the part of me that I that was more interesting. Like I watched Oprah. That's where I learned about Dr. Phil and Ian Zent and you know some of these very like globally popular people in this field. So that's where it came from. This sort of deep skepticism. Um, but ultimately, I, you know, can remember in my twenties, experience going through some therapy that was very helpful, and then hearing about somebody that I respected who became a career coach, and I thought, well, I'm going to try this, and it was a profound experience, and dramatically shifted how I looked at it. Um, you know, really dramatically looked at, shifted how I looked at it. But I still had some of that hangover of um i think sort of cultural indoctrination indoctrinated skepticism around coaching
0: so this is super interesting Mm uh and i hope you don't mind me asking this but that that maybe potentially over identification that you were having um with you know a only a portion of yourself like how did that manifest itself you know, in your personal life and in your career yeah. as you, as you were progressing through life?
1: Oh yeah. No, I love this question. Um, because I'm hoping that my experience, it, you know, if, if anybody recognizes this, you need help. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But so for me, what it ultimately did was this huge disembodiment. So I really valued everything that happened between the ears and above the eyes more than anything else. And so I truly valued intellect, uh, supported structures, what was appropriate, the established pathway, like all of those things, I really valued them more than intuition, what I really wanted, um, connection, emotional intelligence, and so um, that created a lot of, first of all, it's, it's actually quite exhausting because I spent a lot of time not listening to myself. And I'll give these funny little examples of, of how that showed up. You know, I can remember if I would, if we would be on a, if I would be in a drive or something um, and I would, and I needed to pee, <laughs> I would be like, nope, I'll just hold it. Like I didn't take care of my body myself And so i only showed up as half a leader
0: yeah interesting and do you feel that was um identification from male female you know black why i mean how did that how did that translate for you and the work you've done now looking back and understanding it deeper
1: this is such a great question i think in all of those ways i think you know and i've published um you know an essay about this in the huffington post actually and it was really about you know um over identification with my whiteness um and how damaging that can be you know and how you can't show up as a whole person um it was also it was definitely also like over identification with um kind of the with my masculine over my feminine And um, and the way that it really started to manifest itself in work was in a couple of different ways. So one is that, you know, I think I um, I really hustled a lot, um, worked really hard, um, saw that as the pathway. And I don't think that I allowed myself the gift of um, maybe leaning into my tuition, uh, taking a more holistic approach to my career. Um, You know, and I, I truly did believe for many years that the only way to advance professionally was to work super, super hard versus, you know, um, being more creative, uh, taking better care of myself, being rather than always doing, um, showing up on the rusted edge versus the ragged edge. There were lots of ways in which this showed up, you know, um, and it's so interesting. It all came to a head when this was after I'd started my coaching business. And it all came to a head when i can remember hosting this event a lot of people flew in for this event and it was a three-day event and halfway through the first day i completely lost my voice because there was a moment when i walked into the room and there were a lot more people in attendance than i had planned a lot of them i did not know i had no idea who they were and i can remember coming into that room and being like oh wow you're here for me and it was you know, at the, at the heart of it, I think when you are split, when you're not, when you're not showing up with a sense of wholeness at the heart of it, I think is really a sense of worthiness. You know, like there's only a part of you is worthy. It's conditional worthiness, which of course isn't worthy at all. And I think, you know, I, I, I like to think that the wisest part of myself wouldn't allow me to you know was it was like okay this you know um we are going to speak now and the way that we're going to speak is you will be silent <laughs> you know and we're going to show you how the degree to which you need to come together as a whole person that's the meaning I sort of ascribed to it because I wasn't sick I remember calling this internationally recognized voice coach that night and she's asking me all these questions she's like eleanor there's no physically physiological reason for you to have lost your voice <laughs> I'm like wow amazing so, yeah wow
0: great thank you for sharing um no it, it so resonates with me i uh, i have over my whole life over identified with the achiever in me and the masculine side of me as well and you know the only path to success was really hard work and and being better than everybody else, and you know, pretending I was successful when I wasn't, and it led to that, along with you know, being purposeless and 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 lonely, which I didn't understand yeah. at the time, led me to um, to uh, substance abuse issues, and I actually overdosed in two thousand six. Mm. And and the work that I've done with this whole um, over identification with achieving and you know, the masculine part of drive Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, look at things from an unemotional perspective, like it really hollowed out my life. And it wasn't until I figured out that uh, for me, it wasn't about self-worth, even though Mm -hmm. I definitely did not feel worthy at many times because of the decisions I was making. For me, it was about a lack of purpose, right? Because Mm -hmm. I spent so much time trying to be what I thought other people would see as successful that I didn't know who I was. And, And so I just felt like I was, you know, I, I went to engineering school and I hated it, but I, I stayed with it because I couldn't, you know, I was too ashamed to quit and say I couldn't make it. And so it was just always that, um, over identifying with doing, 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 not being and achieving, 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 and, and creating this whole false image of who I really was and all came crashing down when, you know, when finally the universe was saying, yeah, Okay. You know, it's time to actually start really looking at this differently because you have so much more to give in life and and you're not, you're just taking, you're taking from yourself and you're taking, you know, from others. And, and so, um, so I can so relate with you, you know, and it it comes from maybe a different place, but that same um, sort of feeling of, of, of only just acknowledging a certain part of myself and only developing that and the, 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 the really negative ways it can can uh, manifest
1: things in your life. And it's so interesting because I think that women like you and I are quite frankly a gift to the universe. (laughs) Because in not just going through this, I mean, facts, facts only here, everybody. But it's not only, you know, in terms of like going through these experiences that are painful and difficult, but talking about them. Because what you're talking about, the achievement side of things, being very driven by the achiever, by the masculine that is how economic growth has worked, you know, for the history of humankind, you know, or, or, or since since, you know, patriarchy started, basically, which is a system. I'm not talking about men, you know, when we talk about that. But I think we're we're really coming to the limits. And I think for so many women, our physical. This physic, the physical manifestation of a lack of sustainability in how we're growing our businesses or how we're growing our careers is actually happening on a planetary level as well. And so I think it takes, you know, shifting the planet and shifting national economies and the global economy is very complex. But when we as founders can do it at the level of the business, and become successful I mean you have a global team you know that ability to do it at that level becomes this exemplar to people you can grow and create abundance and have impact and create incredible opportunities for other people and do it from a place of sustainability and sufficiency and wholeness and you know um, where the the person and people are nourished. Yeah,
0: I agree with you completely. That's exactly what we're trying to do here. Um, my company Stone Age, it, we're an employee owned company, and so we're all about building a sustainable, you know, sustainable model built on on capitalism, but not capitalism in the sense of like you know you just use and and exploit everything you can. And really, it's about how do you build something that that lasts for a long time, and not only just makes money, but that people walk away going. I'm so glad I worked at Stone Age because I'm a better person. Yeah. My family is stronger because of of everything that I learned, not just about how to work and how to do my job, but the being part of it, right? Yeah, how do you be able to step into difficult conversations, how to, you know expand my zone of competency when I'm scared, how to own my mistakes and my reactions and my behaviors and and creating this really safe place. For us to learn how to do that because let's face it none of us know how to do those things right we learn and yeah. we, we, we model what we're taught and sometimes we have to unlearn those things and we need people around us who can role model and who can mentor and who can hold us accountable so that's the type of organization that that we're building here that has that much more holistic approach and, and you know to sustainability and business impact and we do it through our employees first yeah and it's it's so powerful it's so powerful i just had an executive from uh, a huge um, uh, oil and gas company here today and he was like i've never seen employees like this like this is amazing yeah we're doing some really cool things here yeah so it's not founder you as a ceo right like it is about the whole ecosystem that you're creating and, and really starting with with yourself so that you can help create it for others.
1: And I love that you mentioned, you know, doing it inside a context or container of capitalism, because sometimes I hear, you know, capitalism is broken. Well, I mean, I think it could do with some updates. You know, I think we need capitalism 2.0, which I think is what you're talking about here. You know, it's it's really taking a model and looking at I mean, I think it was Winston Churchill who said that, you know, um, democracy was horrible, but it's the best thing we've got. <laughs> you know, And it's like, to a degree, capitalism is horrible and it's the best thing we've got, you know. And so I think companies that are really looking at how do we take this existing thing and um you know and and make it better and make it more human are very inspiring well the the one
0: tweak that we could have made and it, it you know it happened de- you know hundreds of years ago it was when we had the mindset the framework of the purpose of a company is to increase shareholder value yeah. <laughs> and that's where capitalism went wrong yeah. right we could have done the exact same thing and said stakeholder or even just yes. employees yes. because if we have employees who are taken care of they are going to be inspired to take care of customers and grow the business and it just if we would have like just yeah. switched that word and say that it's all just about maximizing shareholder value i think we would be on a different you know in a different place in this world like it was like you know one of those like we can go left and we went right and we went left and now we're like oh wait we should have gone right
1: (laughs) and and yeah okay that's so fascinating because then of course you create this power dynamic you know where shareholders have massive amounts of value of of power and value and nobody wants to give that up that's like against human nature to do that that's so insightful i love that i'm going to be journaling about that one for some time you know what a shift it would have made if we'd if we'd if we'd redefined who the value accrued to
0: yeah i agree and that's the really cool thing about employee ownership is that my employees are my shareholders Mm. so i you know along with you know there's there's many companies that are i mean it's a tiny tiny fraction um but i am right here in my own little microcosm of, of the business world and making that shift Mm -hmm. and trying to be a role model for others to say, you can do the same thing. I mean, it's easy for me to say I'm maximizing value for my shareholders because they're my employees it makes it really easy. But, um, but I, I really hope to inspire that because I I think it, it, it really gets into that, 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 Problem that's the problem statement that you said. Like, how do I do this in a sustainable way that doesn't suck the life out of me? Yeah. When I'm starting a company or running a company, and when you get into that rat race of I just have to make more money and I have to work harder to make more money, and especially if it's somebody else who's getting richer because of it, like, oh that's that's just no way to live. Um, to live a life to to spend your career in my opinion
1: okay I, so you have to forgive me as a podcast host i'm so a podcast and former journalist so i have to ask you this question did you start out with employee with an employee ownership model or did you get there over time
0: uh we got there over time mm. uh and it's it's definitely evolved yeah uh but yes it's brilliant and and i love it it's hard you know? yeah, totally. I can't. It's complicated and complex but I do believe that it is a, a very sustainable business model that that keeps capitalism going, yeah. but changes the dynamics of who is building wealth Yeah, and it puts wealth back in to the middle class. Yeah. And that's what I say. I say as I speak on this quite often, like we're building the middle class from the middle out. Mm. Like this is not down economics, which clearly doesn't work. Nope. But we're building the middle from the middle out. And so I love what we're doing because we're adding value to our customers. We're solving hard problems. We're growing this company at an incredible rate, but we're changing the dynamic of who gets who builds the wealth. Mm. And so powerful.
1: Yeah, so powerful. That is um, that's fascinating. Yeah, this is a this is a big offline. Uh, conversation, or we need to talk about this in the Power of Presence Position podcast because I'm like I have 20 questions that need to get asked. So I, you know, I'm like I'm not gonna hijack it. We're, we we could do it on my podcast. No, yeah. I and
0: mean, we're supposed to be talking about you anyway. So <laughs> so let's let's draw this back to your mission, right? Yeah. To to yeah. two times the number of women mm-hmm. who are building sustainable business, you know, over a million dollars in revenue how are you finding these women and and are are they open
1: to it like what are
0: you what are you hearing as you're going down this this journey
1: yeah and and that's such a fantastic question because i think you know it all comes back so i i have this vision and the vision is actually um it's we're at the un there's this collective of women um you're totally there all right you're totally there so there's a collective of women and what we're doing is basically and who knows what kind of gathering it is maybe it's maybe it's you know a cl- the climate you know the 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 G8 leaders are coming together to, to discuss climate maybe it's a big global forum i'm not sure what's happening but we're there and what we're saying is listen you all need to be the leaders that we deserve and create the kinds of, of backbone-laced policies that are what our children and our grandchildren deserve too. And I know that it's hard for you to enact the kind of bold measures that are needed to take care of people, protect the planet, et cetera, because currently you have a lot of evidence that economic growth and um, you know environmental sustainability don't go together. But we're here to show you that they do. And don't just take our word for it. Here are our balance sheets. Here's what our supply chain looks like. Here's, the, the, here's what we're contributing to GDP. Here's what we're contributing to tax base. Like the numbers talk, this model works you know we are doing it at this level we know you can do it at the level of national and global economies so that's it's really what i see so in terms of where i'm finding it starts truly with a vision of who are the women who can be arm in arm with me at, a, at at an environment like this and be exemplars of what's possible so that is like i've truly visualized that all the time and that creates this north star you know, um, at the heart of the company, that's what actually attracts the incredible employees that we have, um, and it's and it becomes like this sort of smoke signal for the right people. So I think that, you know, when we think about who these women are and where, where we find them, it always starts with that, because I truly believe money and attention flow to the place of highest clarity. So to get a bit more granular, it, again, if, if that is the vision, and we don't have a ton of time, like eight years, so then, I need generally to work with women who are past the stage of startup. You know, so startup is its own beast. It's its own animal. And I think a lot of times it's just about it is about sort of grit, trying things, experimenting, seeing what works, Um, really, you know, you're hitting the market to expose, you know, you have this need that that you're trying to address and you're gonna pivot it a bunch of times to get something that has a certain degree of traction. So we only work with women who sell knowledge or services. That's our expertise. And typically they're, you know, doing a few hundred thousand by the time we start working with them. At that time they're typically selling their labor. So like Achiever, you know, hustle based, uh, manifests itself in the business. And so what we do is this first level of growth, which is the creation of assets. So that, you know, they're able to grow through assets rather than through hustle. So that is typically sufficient to help them scale past a million. Beyond that, you're starting to look at deeper scalable structures and that kind of thing. Um, And that again, is is another area where they're, they're better served in other places.
0: Yeah, yeah, I understand. And so just make sure that, like, I understand exactly what you're talking about. So someone comes to you, says, I'm a coach yeah. or I'm a you know, a leader, you know, yeah. leadership expert mm-hmm. or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you help them create content that they can then be able to package in a training program yes. or a course exactly. or something like that. So they can start to build that recurring revenue yeah. that they can make money when they sleep rather than having to be on all the time. Exactly. Yeah, you got, got it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it. And so do you think you're gonna hit your two times number by
1: 2030? Like- <laughs> we need a lot, I know. So basically, according to our calculations, we need to inspire support um, an additional 250,000 women. So that's where, you know, so as we were sort of trucking along, initially we were, um, you know, the, the, the business initially looked only at serving women entrepreneurs. And as we did that, we were like, this is not, this is not gonna be able to get us to our mission how are we going to be able to, you know, impact this? And so one of the key ways is access to capital. Um, And so that's where we started doing work with, um, you know, organizations that shape who and who decides who gets capital, how those decisions are made and how they evaluate a bankable idea. So that's where we really felt if we work with those organizations, that's the part that's really going to be able to help us to hit that 250,000. I mean, we could probably like impact through our coaching programs and training programs. I'm going to say we could probably impact up to 30,000 people. You know in that like on a deeper level but to get the kind of impact that we want that's that's a drop in the bucket of 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 the degree of women entrepreneurs that we need to impact so that has to come through um large corporations governments ngos that are directly working on the ecosystem that shapes capital the fuel that grows business you know so that's um that's where sort of the second arm of our company safi insights was born
0: Yeah, great. So tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah.
1: So Safi Insights is all about, so this is an area of the company where we work with, it's, we basically do um, stakeholder consultation, research and education with organizations that are actively giving. And so in general, they are responsible for contributing tens of millions into the capital ecosystem for women founders each and every year. And so, what happens is that you know as you start to talk to women founders you'll start to hear stories of inequity and stories of how sometimes fantastic ideas are overlooked and so typically the way that we handle that is we start going and working with the women founders and say you know what it's your problem it's how you're pitching your idea you need to dramatically sell the upside and really minimize the downside and it's like, how about we actually go to the gatekeepers and start to really help them understand how women talk about opportunity? And I'm making big generalizations here, but that's the kind of work we're doing over there.
0: Ah, Fascinating. Fascinating. All right. So you get a client um, who, you know, is inspired to just go out, grow her business. How do you walk her through the process? What does the dual business model look
1: like? Okay. So initially what we're looking at, and again, you know, uh, typically what's happening at that stage is that she is selling consulting. You know, so she might go in, she's a change management consultant and she sells change management consulting to Fortune 100 companies. She can basically serve two clients at a time. It takes her maybe 60 days to land a piece of business. That business could be valued at a contract that's like 100 to 200K, Um, but she's going to be working her butt off. They only want her. You know, So that's kind of where she's trapped. Um, and that would be a very typical scenario for us. So the first thing that we do is um, we start to take a look at the business model itself. And so to identify, sift through at that point, which is typically like 10 years very often of consulting work, where is, what is a clear, definable, expensive problem that you solve that has a distinct beginning, middle and end You know, a lot of consulting work is time bound, you know, it's in depth, it's holistic, comprehensive. So what piece of this can we take out? Can we split off and start to look at how could you put this into some form of a scalable offer? So it could be a training program or quite frankly, it could be a process that can then be done by somebody else. So we first help them identify their scalable offer. We call it an SFSO, a six-figure scalable offer. So it's an offer that's capable of generating over six figures on its own without um, additional labor from her, right? So that's kind of the first part. Then it's all about how do you sell it so again, they're typically doing highly customized contracts. So then we need to really work with them to shift how they sell, to be able to do it in a more leveraged, streamlined way, um, sort of a key to you know predictable revenue. And then from there, now we start to look at marketing and lead generation. Again, typically for our clients, they're, it's a very much a network game And now they're switching to increasing and being more proactive with marketing and demand generation. Uh, And then from there, we look at team and then ultimately at things like cash reserves. So those assets, when you have those working for you, it's a really powerful step toward creating a jewel business. And we can talk about what a jewel business is as well. I mean, I've been referring to it, yeah. Yeah, tell me what it is, yeah. Yeah, so this was born out of complete indignation I was at a tech conference, you know, and I can remember being there and they were all startups, um, you know, which was like, like they were all startups. And so somebody was asking me about what I did and they're like, oh, so you're like a lifestyle business. And I remember realizing it was like, you know, like when you're in the South and someone says bless your heart and it's like not they're not being nice yeah that's what this was like he basically told me he basically told me bless your heart so i was indignant and annoyed especially because this guy had received millions in funding and not generated a single dollar and i was like look i could outsell you to the moon and back bro don't even start with me but anyway i didn't say that instead i got even and but what annoyed what i realized was like this guy was really believed he was going to be a unicorn and that's what they wanted you know unicorn status billion dollar valuation and i was so intrigued at the way an aspirational name can help people navigate the challenges of entrepreneurship and create real value so even though i was indignant and scoffed i also knew tremendous value would be created by some of the founders at this event So I was like, we don't have that because you know, as long as what, as long as a lifestyle business has been hijacked as this sort of lesson-worthy thing, we need to create our own version of a unicorn business. And I know, like the women founder, I, I know very few people who would want a unicorn, who would want to be, you know, be a unicorn. So I started studying the founders that I had worked with. Um, the founders that I had interviewed, um, who were the most fulfilled, um, you know, over my career as a journalist and as a coach, and saw a few key things. So they were generally experiencing significant, but not massive growth, right? So that's where, you know, and very often as I started to look, a lot of them were, were at in stages where they were experiencing like 30% growth, top line growth. Um, and that seemed to be a really good place where it was aggressive, for their stage and that size of business. So it wasn't an established, it wasn't, we're not talking Walmart, you know, where that kind of growth would be like astounding. But a lot of small businesses, you know, at the phase that I was looking at, that's very, it's it's aggressive yet totally possible. So we started looking at 30% growth, 30% profitability, which really allows for um, internally generated, you know, for investment in growth through internally generated cash um and ultimately 30 percent open time which is where the founder is not in delivery so it's 30 30 30 that's a jewel model and what we found when we can get a founder to a place where she has that it allows her to then go on and create start thinking like maybe i should have an employee owned company like maybe i should it's what happens when the money when you have money you have a certain degree of autonomy, and you have a certain degree of time. That's when things get really interesting, and that's where a lot of impact is created. So that's kind of where the jewel business starts.
0: That's brilliant. I love it. And so so this guy motivated you to figure this out. (laughs) Like where did, where did the inspiration come from? How did, how did you, I mean, obviously uh, yeah. interviewing and what founders, yeah. but yeah. really in marketing. Right. I mean, yeah. You know, so
1: it was, it was basically going, yeah. I mean, we're a lot of, like, I get a lot of ideas in the woods. So, you know, irritation drives a lot for me. It's very constructive, very, you know, indignation and irritation, very constructive forces. Yeah. So, you know, I really, I thought about it a lot. You know, and I thought about why I was so annoyed. And I thought about how so many of the people at that event felt so filled with purpose, even though I knew approximately zero of them would become unicorns, you know? I was like, it's not happening. But they were like having a great time trying. And but it was also something that was definitive and it gave a sense of collective mission. And this is why, you know, I the tech industry is is like beating the pants off every other industry right now. It is driving tremendous value. And there's a couple things that I think are interesting. One is the way that they see themselves in a collective pool. So they are rivals. They compete they train up people, those people move on to other places. It's like this huge cross-fertilization that's happening in that industry. And there's a sense of weirdly, oddly, this collective purpose. And to me, that was inspiring. And I was like, how can we start to take some of that, some of that, this innovation, some of this collective impact, you know, that is just continues to elevate this entire industry, but hasn't bled over really into other industries yet. How can we start to take some of the principles of this and apply it elsewhere? You know, and so that I was thinking about that. And I just kept coming back to this idea of a unicorn and his brazen confidence in what he was doing. Um, And I was like, you know, there's a lesson here. There's something here that we can look at. And you know, when, if we think about, I'm not just building a business, I'm, I'm building a jewel business. And then you start to feel a sense of, you know, um, community with others because it's, it says something about who you are, your, what you value, what's important to you. Yeah. So that's really where it came. And then the actual jewel business inspiration came on a walk in the woods one day. Mm -hmm. Nice.
0: And so, I mean, what a great way to be able to, pitch this right to the gatekeepers of money um to the UN how how are that how is it being received
1: oh my gosh Uh, so yeah so basically with a lot of intrigue yeah with a lot of intrigue it's you know because I think you know when we're presenting ideas and I spend a lot of time you know working with entrepreneurs helping them to present you know, the idea because it's essentially you're presenting a vision for a new path forward. Um, and so to do that, you, you know, it's, it's so much better to present a new path than to present an incremental improvement on an existing path, right? Like it really show, it opens up a, a different part of the conversation where you say there's a totally different way You know, even though what we're currently brought in to do is to take a look at the current way and start to make, you know, help them see incremental changes that they could do to make it better. So we're sort of stealth in the sense that we go in and do that and we start to plant the seeds of what a jewel business could be. Yeah. So it's, I would say it's at huge take up in terms of the women founders that we work with, intrigue. You know, tell me more. So it's in its infancy on at the level of the ecosystem. So that's definitely something that, you know, is a huge priority for me right now, figuring out, okay, so to take my business to this next stage of impact and evolution, I need to think through how I can prioritize culture change, like communication of a vision, how I can become a leader who is primarily engaged in communicating a vision you know, which is hard as an entrepreneur. Yeah, yeah, yeah for
0: sure. Uh, you know, Eve, I'm not an entrepreneur. I, I'm a hired gun. Mm-hmm. I've been doing this for 16 years, but I'm trying to figure out how to create that for myself, right? right?
1: Yeah, <laughs> totally. It's, I mean, I think it's the thing. Yeah, where you're like, how do I, uh, you know, it's funny. I was sitting down with my husband and on the one hand, we're so we've just come off vacation. On the one hand, we're both energized, but two days in, we're also feeling like a little exhausted, and I was like, this is so interesting. I'm both energized and exhausted, what is it? And I was like, you know, I think we need to, I think we need to rethink how we're working. Maybe we're working for a version of where our business was and who we were like two years ago. Maybe there's a different way of doing things and we're just a little slow to catch up and this fatigue is telling us that.
0: Yeah, very insightful. Yeah. Uh, it, I, I had that exact epiphany, it's very Did interesting. You? Uh, yeah, so right in 2019, my like my COO left, and we got hacked. Um, oh. And yeah, best thing that could have happened to us as a company, but really like bad timing. He was leaving. I was restructuring the company. We got hacked, and then literally we four weeks after we got hacked, the world goes into shutdown in uh, in early twenty twenty. So I'd been going through this like six month process of. You know, a lot of turbulence with him leaving. He was my right hand man to now getting hacked. and then, yeah, everybody has to go home. And so working from home was really powerful for me because growing up in this business, so I started here as general manager when I was twenty eight years old. And we were a tiny company then we were eight million in revenue. And I literally was had my fingers in everything. And then as my my leadership style is one that like deeply connects with people. So I'm very connected to all my employees. So I was always in the mix of everything. And then when COVID happened and we all started working from home and, you know, I really, all my, my executive management team and and managers, everybody had to just take it on. And it meant that I wasn't so visible. Someone just can't walk into my office and have a conversation with me. And my life changed so much for the better. And I was afraid of losing that piece, right? That connection that I know what's going on, having my fingers in, in, my, in, in everything, because that's how I identified myself as a leader, right? A person who walks around, a person who really understands everything that's happening in the company. Well, that space that I had when I empowered my managers and they are, it's it's unbelievable to see how they have grown. I'm so incredibly proud of the, of, of the work that they are doing and the way that they're growing this company. That space gave me a lot of time to like work on myself and really start to build out like my thoughts on leadership and my thoughts on scaling a company. And I had time to read and get new ideas and do my uh, podcast and start writing. I wrote a book and, uh, and all of that has translated so much more into me being a much better leader. And I just had one of my employees was walking in here actually right before coming on this podcast. And he said, Carrie one, I want to tell you what one of your podcasts did. My son listened to it and it completely changed the way he was thinking about something in his life. And two, like, all of this is being infused i feel it in this whole company this whole um framework that you're building around leadership is infusing in what we do and i'm so proud to work here and um and i realized looking back and you just triggered this by saying it i was i was doing it the wrong way right i was fatigued all the time because i was just like in that old way of doing it and then that allowed me to have the space to like really work on what i'm passionate about and where my talents and skills lie which is an you know, inspiring others um, through words, and the trickle-down effect is amazing. And I felt selfish doing it at first. right? Yeah. I was like, "Oh, without me, and I started a podcast. People gonna think," and it's not it's having a huge impact. So you're on to something. Oh my gosh, I'm cool. so
1: excited about that because you know mm-hmm. what's weird? Like, I would never, you know, when you're doing it, you're you're doing it because of you know, being in the mix. You want to be connected. You want to be what? you don't realize and this is the royal you so not you but or it's it's me too right like i didn't realize that in in that what was actually happening is it became this very centralized model of leadership oddly you know that happens that you're not trying to center yourself but oddly the only way to uncenter yourself is to put yourself and your well-being And you know, you're right at the center. And when that happens, you know, like I'm, okay, you said this started in uh, 20. So I'm like a year, I'm 18 months behind you on this, my friend, but I am starting to see the possibilities. And so I'm so glad that you shared that story with me. It's super inspirational because it's it's fatiguing. There's a weight to being in the mix and holding the container in that way for people in that way. Like, you know, it's tiring.
0: And what you're going to find when you figure this out, yeah. whatever it looks like for you, is it's going to actually make more room for others. And they're going to, I think, step up and, and achieve greatness. And you're going to love who you have become. I like myself so much more as a person who's not in the mix, who is doing what I want to do with my life, right? I I want to create content and inspire people and do these podcasts. And that's making me a better leader for all my employees. And they like me so much more.
1: Oh my gosh. Like
0: me so much more than as as this person who I am now. Even though I did, it, I think you're right on. I put myself in the center, right? Yeah. And that I've got to make some changes because I cannot keep doing this like this. And I want to run this company for a long time. I want to grow it into a billion dollar company. So how do I change it? And it didn't, it wasn't so apparent, right? In the beginning, it's really taken these two years for all of those seeds and things that I planted to really start to come to fruition and and have this deep understanding of myself and see the impact that it's making. So, Oh my gosh, can I ask you a question?
1: I'm doing it again. Can I ask you one question? So if you went back there, so basically my question is, what do you see as the first or most important step? So the awareness is there, right? So then it's like, it's not so easy to just be like, so I don't necessarily have the benefit of the pandemic, the benefit. Sorry. That sounds so callous everybody, but you know what I'm saying. So what, you know, if you were to go back, like what's the first step in decentering yourself?
0: Well, I think it was, I think it kind of goes into what you do, like the pain journal. Yes. Right. I didn't approach it from a, from a a point of pain. I really approached it as I have some time, right. And how am I going to use this to do what I'm, what, what like fills my, my soul with joy. Mm. And I love to write, um, and, and i love to speak, but I particularly love to write. And so I said, I'm going to just do more of that. And I'm going to figure out how to write for Entrepreneur and Forbes and, and just start to see like what kind of network I can build and what kind of, I don't know, impact I can create by doing that. And so I started just writing (laughs) and it was cathartic. And I started to really get crystal clear on my leadership philosophy and, and, and how I want to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I got started was going back into, into where my true passion and what brings me joy. I'd love to write. And so that's how I started. And then I just started to gain steam. Mm. And so that, that's, how, that's how I did it. And so it wasn't really about what am I not happy with. Mm-hmm. I knew I wasn't happy with the way that I was just working so much. Yeah. But I yeah. looked at it from the perspective of what is gonna really bring me joy. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I'm, I've, I've gotten such tremendous value. <laughs> oh my gosh, so funny. Fascinating. We knew it would be fun. We knew it would be fun.
0: Oh, yes. I know. When I was reading your profile, I was like, oh, I can't wait to meet her. Yes. Well, I love this. And I know we're going to have to wrap things up here soon, uh, but I cannot wait to figure out ways to collaborate with you. Absolutely. But I do have just two questions that I'd like to ask you to wrap things up. So the name of this podcast is Reflect Forward. Uh, What does Reflect Forward mean to you?
1: Ooh, it means talking to my future self. Um, reflecting forward means, you know, um, really spending time with my future self and asking her for insight and wisdom. That's what reflecting forward means. And it's a practice that I do regularly.
0: I love it. What a great answer. So simple and so clear. Thank you. And if you had one piece of advice for leaders looking to be the very best at what they do, what would that be?
1: Mm. My piece of advice I think would be really to, encourage leaders to um, spend time with their inner children. And what I mean by this is a lot of times like when we, I think when we experience challenges or we go through a difficult circumstance, we try to think our way through it, you know, or examine the thoughts that we're having and be very intellectual and reflective about it, which I think is fantastic and super important. But inside every one of us is a young version. Like I literally have on my desk a picture of myself at five, you know? And there are parts of us that like little versions, there's like little Carrie, there's little Eleanor, and they, they are still there, you know? And a lot of times, like when we're concerned about something, when we're stressed about something, when we're worried about something, that's who's talking. And so a lot of times when we try to intellectualize our way through it, it's like we're saying to that person, just shut up, go away. So I think when a leader really takes the time to spend time with themselves, to get to know themselves, to get to know these versions that are still in there, to make friends with them, to say, Hey, sweetie, I see you. I can hear that this is really scary for you. Here's what's going on. I'm stepping back. I know that we've been in the mix, like this is, it would be an example. I'm stepping back and I'm doing this for me because I need to do this. And I have a pretty good sense it's gonna be beneficial for everybody else, but I know it's scary. And I can see that you're scared. And here's the thing, I want you with me, but you don't have to be the CEO of this company. I've got this, right? So that's an example. And that dialogue with yourself is like fuel for wholeness, you know, which kind of loops us back to the beginning thing that we were talking about and being fractured and how that prevents us from leading sustainably.
0: I love that answer. I have this image, I do a lot of energy work and I was actually just doing some with um, with the practitioner who I work with. and. I had this very like clear image of myself at like five or six. And I had on this green Cape and I don't believe I have this picture. I want to go back through my mom's pictures, but this green Cape with my arms on my, on my hips going like, you don't need this. Like, you don't need this, you know, like you don't need this. And, and in terms of like, you know, taking on other people's stuff and all of that. And so I love that you said that because I've been imagining that little version of myself in like this green Cape of. of of having that conversation and seeing, you know, that version of myself and listening to that voice a little bit more than, you know, where I would have been. So it's so funny that you said that. I know,
1: that's hilarious. (laughs) There've been a few synchronicities on this conversation. So I'm like, yeah, we 100% need to talk and hang out. (laughs) Oh, for sure, for sure. All right. Well, where can people
0: find you? And I'll include it in the show notes, but uh, what's the best way to find you?
1: Awesome. So they can go to, I have a show called Power Presence Position. You can go check that out. That's going to be particularly good for founders, for women founders of companies, by the way. Um, LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn, Eleanor Beaton, and my website is eleanorbeaton.com.
0: Fantastic. All right. Well, I'll have all that in the show notes. Eleanor, fabulous. I could talk to you all day. This has been so much fun. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. All right, hang tight, everybody. I'll be right back. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed that. Oh, I could have talked to her forever. What a fun interview. Uh, Be sure to check out the work she's doing. Really, really great stuff. With that, I'll leave you until next week. I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe to it like it, write a review, share it with a friend. It helps with algorithms and I appreciate it so much. Take care. See you next week.